this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Hard Rock Lunch Box. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Hard Rock Lunch Box. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Hard Rock Lunch Box. I'm not a crusty crab. Ah, greetings and salutations. It is time for yet another edition of the Hard Rock Lunchbox and, of course, the Top 20. That is where we come in right now. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Everybody doing all right? It is a absolutely beautiful, crystal clear day here in the Northeast. It's a beautiful uh, November 2nd. We made it. We made it. I guess. I don't really know. Did we make it? Maybe. I don't know. I can't tell. Uh, my camera is acting weird again. It's uh, using AI, and uh, I don't know. Not doing the job I wanted to do currently, so uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Do I get closer? Would that help it? Do I get further away? That probably doesn't help anything, but I don't know. I'll go further away. How's that? Oh, that looks better. Yeah. All right. I'll just go further away. <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Title of your sex tape, Go Further Away? All right. <laughs> it's so funny to be rewatching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my daughter because if you don't know, if you've never met Charlotte, like, but you have watched Modern Family and you have watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just rest assured that Charlotte is somewhere firmly between Detective Amy Santiago and Alex Dunby. She exhibits so many qualities of these two very capable women, but kind of on the nerdy side. Uh, we were watching the one where Jake goes back to his high school reunion. I'm not going to ruin anything because I'm not a spoiler, uh, but goes back uh, to his high school reunion. He has to kind of figure something out, uh, and Amy ends up in the science lab, and she like... She's not her. Like, uh, uh, one of the projects get damaged, and she panics and freaks out. She looks at it, and she's like, oh, it's the Krebs cycle. Like, I got this. And then she starts slow-talking to Jake so she has enough time to fix it because she wants to redo her science project from high school. And, like, dude, if that is not Charlotte, two eight <laughs> I don't. I don't know who is. Like literally, Charlie could just go on there and be Detective Amy Santiago or Alex Dunphy easily, and I don't even know that I would know the difference to be perfectly honest with you. But it's neither here nor there. So yeah, that's how we got from "I Love Your Sex Tape" to stories about my daughter. And yep, that might land her in therapy. Probably would land me in therapy too. That's cool. I've got nothing planned for the next forty years. I actually, I have joked uh, with Charlotte for ages uh, about she what she does so charlotte's got she's got a pretty good life i think um and she's you know she's got loving parents she's got a loving family uh she's she's she really has not a lot to rebel against and i think that that is the rub because <laughs> when you don't have stuff to rebel about you have to start making stuff to rebel. if anybody's ever seen louis ck louis ck's bit about his young daughter 
that just wants to be mad, and he's trying to make her waffles and stuff, and you know, she's like, I don't know which piece to eat, and he's just like, you know, just make a list of pros and cons of each piece, and we'll go over it. You're not being very nice, but like, I love you very much, like that kind of stuff. So Charlotte, I feel like doesn't have like a lot to rebel about. So what she does do, and she, you know, she'll complain about me and be like, you know, and my dad, you know, never makes time to like, you know, or my not not that never makes time. My dad. Uh, can't even win like on Mario Brothers 3 you know like that kind of stuff like that's literally like what she's got to complain about and I remember telling her one time and I've told her repeatedly but telling her the one time I was like listen just it's gonna be really funny when you're like in your mid-30s and you like you start going to you know for therapy which I think is probably important for everybody but like you start going for therapy and you walk into your therapist's office and you start unloading all this nonsense about stuff that your dad did to you and your therapist is going to look right at you and be like, will you get the fuck out of my office so I have room for people with a real problem? <laughs> like, and I just told her, I was like, just make sure you call me right after that happens because I just want to know that I was at like right one time. But, you know, it's I, I do tell the kids all the time, like, I, feel, I feel like there's a lot of talk about um, like childhood uh, adversity scores and stuff, and you probably heard a lot about CPTSD, like childhood post-traumatic stress. Um, and these are all real things, right? Like anybody that's ever been a child and survived has grown up and has these experiences and has some of these problems. Um, but I've, I've always told the kids, like, I feel like they all they all got like a good 10, somewhere between 5 and 10 with me. Uh, you know, and I'm allowing the 5 to 10 because there's 5 that I definitely know. Like, you know, as a parent... Like, I'm a pretty good parent, but, like, I am not perfect. And I don't think... I don't even know that being a perfect parent would be a good, necessarily a good thing, right? Like, because without the ability to sort of understand adversity, even from loved ones, like, how, how can you possibly expect to go through the rest of your life, like... And exist in relationships, you know, both romantic and you know non-romantic, but like also with other people. Like, you can't expect to make your way from zero to you know life expectancy is now like eighty-two or whatever. But like, you can't expect your, to make your way from zero to ninety without some serious conflict from people that are really close to you, and you, your inability to handle those things, uh, you know, will be a bad thing for you. You know, in my in my opinion. So um, I don't have I don't I don't necessarily take issue with the fact that like I'm not and was not a perfect parent. I'm like I did my best and I'm doing my best and I continue to always do that and that's the value I try and instill in them. But I do think that there's probably a solid five to ten things that all of them are really going to have a legitimate beef with, except for Charlotte, who's probably got minus four at best, honestly, because she just lives such a charmed life. It's just ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't come here to talk about any of that. It just struck me as funny. And it's a good example of exactly how a tangent forms because I said something about your sex tape and I made it all the way to therapy for my kids. And that is pretty impressive. And really, isn't that why we all tune in to the top 20? Because I know it's why I do. And I'm also agreed to be here for every Thursday for the rest of my life. And that's probably more than we I'm so tired already, and the show's only been on for, well, I was going to say it's been on for like nine minutes, but I started late, so it's probably only like seven minutes, and that's fine. What's everybody doing in the chat? Chat's quiet. Am I on? Am I streaming? I don't like when the chat's this quiet. <laughs> chat, chat makes me nervous. Man, chat's light today. Okay, well, uh, hopefully hopefully I'm in there. <laughs> uh, unless I froze. Maybe I froze. Did I freeze? Hello? <laughs> Give me one of those things like fruit. 
Freak. Freak. Which is actually how I told Charlotte to get out of any class uh, during the virtual era of COVID. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, no response from the chat. So either the chat is dead or I am. Either way, we're moving on and moving over because it is time for housekeeping, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there is a brand new episode of the Top 20 out. I caught the beginning of it this morning. Uh, the bumpers really are still my favorite part. I love the fact that I completely shit on Amityville Music Hall within the first three seconds of my show, as it should be by all shows, in my opinion. But that's, uh, that's just me currently. Uh, it is life, the job. Uh, and I talk about how I just fail at it miserably. I also talk about how I've gone past puberty. That's important. Um, I talk about being in a well-rehearsed band, biggest issues with venues currently, uh, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. Give it a like, give it a comment. If you are so inclined, that'll be cool. And, um, if you are also so inclined while you're over on stranger hit TV, the full interview with, uh, Shaley Bourget is, is out. He's, uh, basically Deschel. Um, and, uh, it's the interview, the bacon is my podcast interview that I sat in and I, uh, I sat in for Jimmy for, so it's just me and Mikey on there. I meant to give it a listen. I have not been able to because I actually wanted to hear the discussions and drinks, uh, episode. So I actually listened to that briefly this morning. I wanted to hear about what Mike and Jimmy thought about the bacon is my passion show because I thought it was very good. A lot of people I talked to thought it was very good, but I realized it was a very interesting sort of dynamic going on that a lot of people maybe don't even realize. Um, but Jimmy, uh, uh, talks about it during the sh- during the during the discussions and drinks. So give that a listen. Specifically, the part I was interested in is that Jimmy pointed out to me before he went on that it was his first first show in twenty years, um, and that is calculating back through Craving Strange all the way to Sick as Monday. So basically, like the first time you're up on stage with a new project, and he was saying that even Crash Transit uh, was an existing band, so that wasn't really. That wasn't really the same thing. This is literally the first time. And I was thinking about it while he was telling me, and I was trying to calculate it back out. And it really, for me, would have been about the same time. In 2002, when I formed G. Davey, um, I guess it was like 2002. It It was really around the end of 2003 where we did our first show. And our first show was at the, it was actually a really big show because we just weren't playing. Um, in fact, it's funny. Uh, sorry, I'll finish that thought. Our first show was at the downtown, which was in Farmingdale somewhere. I couldn't even tell you where it is or where it was anymore. Things have just changed so much. But the downtown was an awesome place to see a venue, uh, to see a show. It was a great venue. Definitely, for me, it rivaled the stuff like Revolution uh, or what Revolution would become and rival like the Crazy Donkey. I loved the downtown. I thought it was just fantastic. I used to go see like Nationals play there and stuff like that. Like I had seen uh, my friends in KHC when they were on tour with uh, Mindless Self-Indulgence there. And it was just such a fantastic show. Anyway, but um, it was actually funny because the reason it was such a big deal that uh, we were doing a show, and this is probably going to sound stupid out of context, but... Isn't that like the whole show sounds stupid out of context? The whole show sounds stupid in context, but this is an out of context moment. The reason I had formed G Davy at all was was solely to write and record and release material. Now, this was two thousand and two. Like 
I had spent so much time playing so many shows. Uh, we had already toured. I had already done my time with Narcotic Gypsy. I had already been on OzFest. I had already done all of that stuff and toured, you know, North America and Canada and st- uh, U.S. and Canada. Uh, so I had done a lot already, and I was, uh, frankly, I was a little tired from it. Uh, the whole, the whole demise of. Narcotic Gypsy had absolutely left a horrendous taste in my mouth, uh, the way it was handled, and then the way Sufferful ended, which was the side project I was in at the same time, the way that ended was also just a horrendous experience. So I just didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, so uh, myself and my best friend at the time, uh, and godfather to my daughter, uh, and bass player, we just got together and started like recording stuff, and then we would play with different you know, musicians from time to time. Similar, in, funny enough, to the way Bacon is My Passion works. But the, re- the reason I bring it up, because it's funny, and I don't think I'll ever forget that. At the time, uh, G. Davy had done enough and we had enough cred that we actually had a Wikipedia page. Uh, it was mainly drawing on the fact that I had been a narcotic gypsy and that was enough of a reason to have one. It's not up there anymore. Don't bother looking for it or anything like that um, because it's not important enough anymore, so they took it down. But I had, you know... One of the things about it was that the stated goal was uh, that we, we were forming this just to write and record and release music. And I'll, I'll never forget this because one of the Wikipedia editors actually who was responsible for taking the page down, was, who made a snide comment about it, is like, well, what other things do you do in a band? And I actually answered him back. I was like, well, dickus, the main thing bands do is they actually go out on the road for a really long time for really very little money and very little, like, you know, anything you know, to financially back them up. And I had already done that instead of sat behind my computer typing on Wikipedia dick, and that was basically it for the G-Day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had done, like I guess like 2003, we played one show, and we, it was a absolutely packed house. Not for us, I, it was packed because it just was. Um, and that was the first time that I'd gone on stage with a brand new band in some very long time. Um, and that was 20 years ago. And the next kind of thing that I had... Uh, would have been in 2008, where uh, G. Davy played again, except it was my very first show as the lead singer. I'd never done it before. We took an opening slot at Ollie's Point, which would eventually... No, sorry, excuse me. It was still Molly Bloom's 2. It wasn't even Ollie's Point yet. Ollie's Point would eventually go on to become Revolution, just so you know. Stage was in a completely different place. The stage was actually kind of where the green room was, if you're familiar with that, at, at Revolution. But we played, I took an 8 o'clock show on a Saturday, and uh, we booked it through Patty Dodge, who I had never met. It was the first time working with her, and she was like, I like the way you guys sound. We did have, because we wrote and released materials, so we did have songs out, and Patty gave us a shot because Patty's very cool. Aside from the fact that Patty will book almost anybody, like she's really good at just giving you a shot and putting you in a bad slot until you've earned a better slot. Like, you know, that's. To me, that's the way music should be. Like, you shouldn't really just base stuff on your, you know, draw and stuff like that. Like, you need to earn a better... Like, you want to headline a show? Earn it. Like, really earn it. Because what's happened is when you when you, when you you headline shows just because you can draw, like, a few hundred people doesn't mean you're very good. It means you have a few hundred people that'll come see you. And I talked last week about the difference between a friend base and a fan base. And, and I was saying it specifically in regards to... 
a lot of younger bands because bands under 30, generally speaking, have a large friend base that will eventually abandon you because they're going out because they need stuff to do, stuff to occupy their time. When they get a little bit older than that, people make real sacrifices to come out and see you. And I know that because that's what my fan base is now. Yes, I am absolutely friends with some of our fans, and that is fantastic and just a complete bonus of that. But, like, I don't think that people just come to Rebel 9 shows out of sheer loyalty to our friendship. Like, I just I think that's out. I think they, they come because they have a good time. They come because the other people that come are awesome. And they come because we play with a lot of other good bands that they also want to see. And I feel like that's the better reason to come to come see a show. But I am just segueing off a cliff here because what I wanted to say is that that was the other time I had a first kind of show. I sang lead vocals for the very first time in my life. I, I want to say it was like May of 2008. Um, we played with a couple bands and it was just fun and I was scared as hell and I had a lighting issue and the sound guy who would go on to basically be a lifelong friend, Mike Festa, saw that I was having trouble because I couldn't see my frets while I was singing because this is not something I was used to. I We rehearsed with full light and he actually hooked me up and gave me one of his desk lights so I could kind of see and like it was just so much going on but the point was like I had nerves for days for weeks I was super super nervous I was not a very good singer you could argue whether or not I became a good singer in all that time but like I was not a very good singer then I was hoarse I blew my voice out very quickly I was certainly very pitchy and I was nervous as all hell and that was actually what Jimmy was talking about about being nervous and how it kind of feels kind of good you know it's not free lines of cocaine good, but it's like, you know, maybe we'll get cocaine after the show good. Like, if that puts it into any perspective whatsoever, it was like, it's exciting. You know, it's 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 exciting to do that. It, it dries the throat, it races the heart, all those good things that'll probably kill us all in the end. But, like, it's a fun thing to feel. And I was happy for my friend that he got to experience that. And that was, that was cool. And by all accounts, like, Bacon is my passion, did a great job. Uh, I was... Unfortunately, I was playing right after them, so of course I was, you know, moving gear and setting up and all that other stuff. But like everything I heard was good. I got to see the beginnings of it, and that was awesome. Um, at Waterbury and and Joey Nunn did a great job uh, as their backing band. I guess there would be the uh, the Bimp Tones. I would imagine they would be referred to. I don't know. Like they added a horn section. They could do that. Uh, Mike and Jim in the bimp tones. I would, I would definitely like if they if they sat Joey and Chris behind those like cardboard boxes that you saw like on the old shows and stuff. Like get a saxophone player, like you could know, could have been like totally the bimp tones, bimp and the bimp tones. I would, I don't, I don't know. It's just a suggestion. I have lots of them, and, and rarely are they good. To be perfectly honest with you, so <laughs> I don't know how many of those I would actually take, but. Um, that long-ass explanation is uh, a suggestion for you to catch the discussions and drinks uh, on Strangerhood TV, the Bacon is My Podcast release from just yesterday, uh, and check out all the other good things there. And I have now talked about way too much. I was going to talk about 
Tommy Tuberville and what an absolute scumbag he is. He's a U.S. senator from somewhere in the deep south. Who's basically putting our uh, country at, sec- at national security level risk because he doesn't like the Pentagon's policy on reimbursing service uh, service women for travel expenses if they have to go out of state to get an abortion. So he's holding up hundreds of promotions to important positions in our armed forces because he doesn't like something. He's a douchebag. And any single time you have a senator that puts his personal belief ahead of the good of the country, you have to take a real good look at everything that's going on and why he's there and which party voted for him, by the way. Because we do have an election day coming up uh, Tuesday, right? In just less than a week. I know almost nothing about the candidates, except I did get a flyer uh, about Ed Romaine, who's who's running for Suffolk County uh, executive. And all I know about him is that he is in charge of Brookhaven, the town of Brookhaven, which has been famously dubbed Crookhaven because it's so crooked and so corrupt, it makes Huntington look like everything is running just fine. And the whole pitch is about how he's going to bring integrity back to the office. I'm like, you don't get to run a county called Crookhaven and talk about integrity. If if that's your job and that's your gig and you're running for something bigger, you got to be like, uh, Ed Romaine, I promise to do a better job. Like, that's what I would lead with and I'd be done. But I don't have anything to offer otherwise on, on politics. I do know that they raised taxes in the town of Brookhaven in the past eight years in a row, and he's all of a sudden going to lower taxes for Suffolk County. I feel like that's what a lie sounds like, and I guess any party that would put up somebody like George Santos to run for Congress doesn't really care if you're being truthful. So I don't know how you guys are voting on Tuesday. I just know that one party consistently lies about what they're going to do, what they've done, and all that other stuff. And as much as I don't like the Democrats constantly just bowing to the ultra-left, at least they don't lie about it. And I feel like that's a much bigger thing. It's a much bigger issue to me. So, I don't know. That's just my 17 cents. I've got some data to remember, but it's a cover. So, I don't know if I'm helping or hurting. And honestly, who cares? I don't. Hard Rock Lunch Box. I honestly don't know what they're doing over at Beartooth Incorporated, but I effing dig it because this new album is just incredible. I really, I think it's really the the record that they needed to make, and they absolutely did it. And there are so many parts of this song in uh, the song is the surface. There are so many parts of it where Caleb is just doing like Caleb nonsense in there, and it just works, and it just fits. And man, they just uh, they nail it. It's so good. Hard. Rock. Lunch. Box. Just so we're clear, I grabbed about 18 songs for today's show. I've, I am not going to get to all of them. I can't imagine. But, but maybe I will. Uh, I have definitely been guilty in the past of just grabbing a song or two just for cue. And I know I said this like last week, and uh, it's just true. Like sometimes I hear something like super hella aggressive, and I'm like, I bet cue would like that. And this segment right now that I'm about to play is something I'd like to call, huh, I think cue might like this. And it's a band called Filth, so that's 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 good. That's a good start. Chin Check is the name of the song. It's also hella aggressive. I think we're three for three, but we'll have to find out. And on this week's segment, uh, hmm, I think you will like this. Hard Rock Lunch Box. Man, I gotta tell you, if you didn't like that song, just do yourself a favor and give it a second listen. For me, it's definitely... 
It's definitely been one of those things that I just like more and more and more. And the only reason I listened to it in the first place is because the band is Our Last Night. Um, they had a song called like Sunrise that I used to play like a mental patient on this show. And that's no, I'm not degrading mental patients. Like, they could Honestly, I could use a week stint, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, but yeah, man, it is just, there's something about the way that they put songs together. I just, I find so good. So good. Anyway, so that's that. If you, uh, it's called Something in the Orange. If you haven't, if you d- didn't appreciate it, like, give it another listen. Like, it's, they're a really good band and they do a really good job. Uh, speaking of really good bands and really good jobs, uh, that I'm about to slam, actually, The Struts, I've been playing since they kind of broke. Um, what was it? Kiss This? Was that their big song? I forget whatever song broke them. But at the time, actually, I can look it up. Um, the struts. Uh, huh. Could have been me. No. Yeah, I think it was Kiss This. Yeah. So Kiss This, when it came out, was like their big, uh, their big break out of, out of England. And I had commented at the time, like, what a brilliant ripoff and copy of Sympathy for the Devil it was, because it was. And anybody that said something different, either didn't know Sympathy for the Devil or was just flat out lying. So, um, uh, um, going to say something, something, something. Anyway, so the Struts have a brand new song out. It's called Pretty Vicious. So I gave it a listen. It's on my, obviously it's going to be my release radar because I've listened to them and played them enough. Uh, but the song's called Pretty Vicious and it's a great song. Um, I don't know if there's any fans of Chris Isaac's Wicked Game out there, but if you, now that I've said that to you, I want you to just get that in your head. Like, like all that, like all the twang, all the descending, all the pretty in the chords. Just keep that in mind, because what they've done here is rip that off completely. And uh, before I was even done playing it the first time, I had already sent it to Mikey and Jimmy and and complimented how uh, what what a wonderful ripoff of such a great song. And then I lamented that I am working way too goddamn hard trying to write original music when I should just be ripping off absolutely time tested classics like Wicked Game. But hey, that's uh, I guess that's what's going to keep them famous because honestly I don't think people care and that's worth the conversation. I just don't have it in me to have it now. So here's brand new music, kinda, from the Struts on the box. Hard Rock Lunch Box. Ah, a little something from the Moldy Peaches. Here is a quick little piece of trivia if you want to know. Uh, one of the founding members of the Moldy Peaches is a dude by the name of Jack DeShell, who I have known most of his life. In fact, he used to come hang out when I was a guitar player in Rihanna Page before they became KHZ. He is also responsible for melodining, a.k.a. fixing the vocals on the Razorblade Diaries, and I have known Jack forever. Uh, also, probably much more notable than any of that, he happens to be married to uh, Regina Specker. so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, it was actually very nice meeting Regina Specter. I had no idea she was only three feet tall, but she is, so I guess it makes it much easier to tour. Uh, 
Uh, I told you before that I brought a lot of new music or a lot of music into the show today, and that is not not true. Uh, but what is funny whenever I do that is I start to conflate what songs I think are which because I just don't remember them so well. And now we have come to the moment of the show that I would like to call, even DJ doesn't know what this song is, so let's all find out together. And this uh, week's entry or song is a song called uh, Someone to You from a band called Banners. And it's this week... Even DJ doesn't even know what this song sounds like, so we're all going to find out together. On the box. Hard Rock Lunch Box. Well, the upside of playing the song from Banners and Someone to You uh, and me now remembering what that song is, which I should have, honestly, from the from the, from the the title, right? Like, someone to you. Someone, you know, like all that. I should have been able to pick that up, but honestly, I'm just... I haven't been on my game since I was, I guess since I was playing checkers, like when I was like five. I have, I have not been on my game before. But the hidden bonus of that and finding out what that song is means that I completely remember this song from Broadside. It's called Cruel on the Box. Well, no, it's Cruel and it's on the box. And I think you'll dig it because why not? Hard Rock Lunch Box. So, <clears throat> it's not all that often that I get to announce here on the show that I have a new song from the Beatles. In fact, in the entire time I've done this show, which is cruising past 10 years, um, I have never said it. I also don't expect to ever say it again. <laughs> if you don't know, the Beatles were kind of a big deal in the 60s. <laughs> Um, kind of arguably, uh, not by me, but arguably one of the greatest bands that ever was. Uh, but they have released a new song today. Uh, the song is called Now and Then. And I'm just going to read the little clip about it because it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting concept and it's an interesting sort of discussion, I think, that we could have going forward about, you know, maybe maybe also the Beatles, but also other bands as well. Uh, so this is what it says. Now and Then is, a, is an upcoming single, from yesterday, um, is an upcoming single by the English rock band The Beatles to be released on the 2nd of November 2023. That's today. As a double A side single paired with a new mix of the band's first single, Love Me Do, which is from 1962, just a wonderful song. By the way, the new version, I think, is just great. Or it's just, it's not a new version, it's a new mix. Dubbed, quote, the last Beatles song, it is also to be included on the expanded reissue of the 1973 compilation 1967 to 1970 to be released on the 10th of November, right? So that'll be next week, <clears throat> uh, next Friday. Uh, so here's the deal. It was originally written and recorded by John Lennon around 1977 as a solo piano home demo, but was left unfinished. After Lennon's death in 1980, the song was considered as a third, as the third Beatles reunion single for their first 1995-1986 retrospective project, The Beatles Anthology, following, quote, Free as a Bird and, quote, Real Love, both based on Lennon's demos. Instead of being included on Anthology 3, the song was shelved for nearly three decades. It was later completed by surviving bandmates Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr with overdubs, as well as guitar tracks by George Harrison from the abandoned 1995 sessions. Right? So this song was written uh, around 1977 before Lennon died. And then they were considering re releasing it in 1995. 
So George Harrison was still alive. So George Harrison was actually putting on some guitar tracks, just playing around with it. But they decided to not use it for that anthology. So you have a song from 77. Lennon dies in 1980. They work on it in 95. Uh, George Harrison put some stuff together on that. George Harrison dies shortly after that. So now it's just McCartney and Ringo that are still alive. The finalized version also features additional lyrics by McCartney and Lennon's voice quote, extricated from the original demo using the AI-backed audio restoration technology commissioned by Peter Jackson for his 2021 documentary, The Beatles Get Back. That's the documentary that came out a couple years ago. Like, okay. Jackson also directed the music video for Now and Then, which I have not seen, by the way. Uh, and just about the, the, the composition, it says, Lennon wrote Now and Then in the late 70s. He recorded the unfinished piece of music sometime in 77 as a demo at his home at Dakota in New York City. The lyrics are typical of the apologetic love songs that Lennon wrote in the latter half of his career. For the most part, the verses were nearly complete, though there are still a few lines that Lennon did not flesh out on their demo tape performance. In January 94, Paul McCartney was given two tape cassettes by Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, that included home recordings of the songs Lennon never completed or released commercially. Which is a big deal, by the way, because Yoko did not cooperate with McCartney all that much at all. Uh, the songs in the tapes included Freezer Bird, Real Love, and of course, Now and Then. So what we have is a brand new song from the Beatles that was written in 1977, polished up a little bit in 1995, and just completed now by the two remaining members of the Beatles. As Beatles songs go, it's not my favorite. It's not in my top ten at all. It doesn't even do much for me. It sounds more like the sort of the John Lennon stuff that John Lennon was kind of writing at that time, which makes sense. I was not up... Like, not that there were camps necessarily, but I was much more of a Paul McCartney fan than I was John Lennon. And that's okay. I do not need any hate mail. If you insist on sending hate mail, Monty at CravingStrange.net is always the place to go for that. But I do appreciate that somehow music from, what is that, 50, 45 years ago is somehow new again. I appreciate that that kind of exists. And half of me is like, I have so much unwritten, God, unfinished music. Like, I have no idea. Like, I could actually spend the latter half of my career when, once, like, I retire from touring and playing and performing. I could probably spend a, another half a career just going through old stuff and, like, redoing it and fixing it and making it better. Especially now that I know how to write a song as opposed to when I was 20 and didn't. But, I mean, I'm no John Lennon and I'm not trying to make any comparisons, but, like, who else could we do this for? Like Michael Jackson, Prince, George Michael. Like I don't know, man. There's a lot of talented people that have been alive and like aren't alive anymore that probably recorded a few things onto a TDK or two, TDK tape or two. But this one just happens to be from John Lennon. So if you haven't heard it yet, don't worry, I got you. It's the Beatles, brand new music. Uh oh, wait. Yeah, look at that shit. Music from the Beatles on the box. Hard Rock Lunch Box. So this is probably kind of funny in deference to the fact that I did just play a new Beatles song and I said I would never really expect to say that sentence again, but I did. Uh, what I'm going to play for you now is also some new music. Hold on. 
but this one's from Green Day, which I don't not expect to say. Green Day is still a band, even though they're kind of getting up there in years. There's no sign that they wouldn't be writing and recording and releasing new material, which is awesome. I will say, and I do not want to taint your listen of this song. It's called American Dream. It is not my favorite. It's not my favorite Green Day song. I am super. I am a super big Green Day fan. Have been for. Ever like I don't really remember not being a Green Day fan. I've covered Green Day. If you were ever fortunate enough to see uh, G. Davy and even Rebel Nine do She, we used to do a great version of that. Um, but like, I realized as I was listening to this song that I just didn't like it as much as I wanted to. And the um, the interesting emotional component for me was it was so good just to be hearing Green Day. That I didn't even really care so much that I didn't like the song. I don't know that I've ever experienced that before. Like it was just so good to hear those three dudes making music that it could have been absolute dog shit, and I probably would have liked it. I think that is like as high a compliment as you can give a band as a fan. Or I could just be completely out of my mind. Either one is fine. And it doesn't matter because I've got brand new music from Green Day on the box. Hard rock lunch box. Now you might be thinking it's too early for a Christmas song, but it's not. It's after Halloween, which means there's Christmas decorations all over the place because we don't even count. We don't even slow down for Thanksgiving anymore. So. I guess that's what's going on. But, I mean, it, to be fair, it's the Goo Goo Dolls. And all their songs sound like they could be a Christmas song anyway. And I love the Goo Goo Dolls, so that's just what's happening. That's how we're doing stuff. That's what's going down now. <laughs> so, in other new music news... Uh, Dead Sarah, one of my favorite female-fronted bands of all time, also has new music out. I also did not like this as much as I wanted to, but I realized as I was re-listening to the Green Day song that you were all listening to that I'm liking it more and more and more as I listen to it, so I'm probably going to end up liking the Dead Sarah song more and more and more. The problem is, for me, I hold... I hold everything that Dead Sarah does up against that first EP, and then when they released Weatherman, which I just think is just a fantastic rock song. Uh, but when they did, like, you know, anybody, and they did the stripped-down version of it, and even, like, anything on Pleasure to Meet You is just so good. Like, I just have such a high standard of how those songs reach me uh, that, like, I guess if they just don't reach me the right way the first listen, I'm just like, ah, man, they don't write songs the way they used to, or whatever old people sound like. Uh, but so, I'm going to go into this with a much more open mind and say maybe I will like this as much as all the other Dead Sarah songs, but you can make up your own mind. I'm not going to do it for you, because they only do shit like that on the Hard Rock Lunchbox. Oh, I see what I did there. It's brand new music. It's called Violent on the Box. Hard Rock Lunchbox. There is so much to break down in that brand new song from Taking Back Sunday. First of all, I really like it. They're just continuing to just do a great job. I mean, I don't think they'll ever do a better album than Tidal Wave, in my opinion, and it's not because they're not capable of it. I don't think the world is capable of producing another record as good as that one. Easily one of the top ten records ever, probably. Uh, but there's the line that he repeats in there, the problem isn't that I've changed, the problem is that you've stayed the same. Holy shit, what a what what a great line. And also like 
take a look around you like, and think about how applicable that is to so many situations in your life. But I will say... <laughs> The line that he also repeats, like, no one's known, nobody knows the troubles you've seen. I don't know about you guys. I'm a huge fan of Spaceballs. I cannot hear that line and not immediately be like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know, when Kathy Zuniga's in there and John Candy's like, oh, she's a bass. Like, that's all I hear. That's all I'm ever going to hear. Sorry, Adam. I'm hoping that they ripped it off from there exactly because that would be a much cooler story, but I'm just making shit up as I go, kind of like every Thursday on The Box. Speaking of which, I have absolutely no idea what this next song is. None whatsoever. Complete blank slate, no recollection, nothing. So, uh, again, for the seventh time today, it's time to play... Our new segment, even DJ doesn't know what this song is. Let's find out together. It's Sleep Theory with Fallout on the box. Hard Rock Lunch Box. Yeah, man, it's time for your weekly Craving the Week with Craving Strange or... As is the case this week, Craving Strange adjacent CSA, as it were. I don't see anything on Craving's calendar for any performances coming up for the rest of the year. I know that Rebel 9 is also apparently done performing for the rest of the year, but we do have an unplugged singer-songwriter kind of roundtable sort of thing going on uh, at the beginning of December to end the year. It's basically like our holiday party here in the sandbox. We would love everybody to be a part of it. Uh, James from Pathmaker had to drop out because he doesn't know how to read my messages that clearly say December 8th, and he's going to go to the Paramount and see Meshuggah, which which means he likes Meshuggah more than he likes you people. I'm just saying, maybe not what he said in words, but definitely what he's saying uh, in actions. But don't worry, I found another equally talented musician to step in and fill in. We're going to be super, uh, I'm super grateful to have uh, Julia from the Neon Skyline is going to be taking James's place. That's going to be really awesome. Uh, it was funny when I uh, messaged her, because I, me- I had messaged her on Facebook and I told Joey, I'd like, you know, I messaged her, she didn't get back to me. He's like, he's, she's 23, dude. She doesn't even use Facebook. And I was like, <laughs> that made sense. So he gave me her number so I could text her. And she was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so, like, she's like, I'm happy to be a part of this. This is going to be awesome. I was like, well, you're one of us now. So it's time you start paying your dues around here and play some of these ridiculous shows. So she's totally looking forward to it. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Probably going to add another one, maybe two people uh, at, to, as I finish negotiating uh, how we're going to do stuff, and then we'll just turn our eyes on 2024. My point is, Jimmy's going to be up there, and he's going to be, he's definitely going to be up there. You can ask him, and you'll be able to say that after the show for sure, but maybe we'll squeeze some Jimmy's Blue Notebook stuff out of him. I don't know, but maybe. Suddenly it seems to change I don't know if everything's alright Underneath the things we say There seems to be a weight And now it's changing And you've gone to tell the world Calling all cars She can't get too far from me It's breaking my heart 
Everybody for spending a little piece of your Thursday with all of us here at the Hard Rock Lunchbox. I super appreciate it. I super appreciate you. And I'm just totally humbled and honored that I get to do this every single week and people are still interested in stuff I have to say and music I have to play. And we can make things out of clay. <laughs> I realized as I was making my way through that sentence that I was definitely, definitely in a Happy Gilmore sort of universe. And I am not mad about it at all. So I want to make sure you guys have a beautiful weekend. It looks like it's going to be beautiful on Sunday. I think they're calling for like 70 degrees again. I have a 1 o'clock game at, uh, at, at home against, um, against the team from Queens, Cambria Heights. So I don't know if they're going to come with knives or whatever. I don't know how that works exactly. Uh, we did beat Hicksville. We beat them so badly this past weekend. And, oh, I totally forgot I wanted to tell you about the absolute twat that we shut down. Like, it's so great. It's such a great story. I will try and remember to tell you guys next week, but uh, my Hurricanes are doing good. They're three for two in the season, three and two for the season, which is awesome. But listen, we're talking about you. We're talking about the box. We're talking about thanking you. And this is the best way I know how to do it. So until next week, I want you guys to have a good time. Be a little nicer to each other. Except people we don't like. Screw them. We don't need to be nice to them at all. But enjoy this. And let this be the last taste in your mouth from the Hard Rock Lunchbox. Until we meet again. Hey, little 
again. Hard. Rock. Lunch. Box.